Good morning, good morning. Yeah, that was well done, man alive. Hey, today is, uh, we are, as Allison said, we are continuing our series on forgiveness today. Scott started it last week, talked about the Old Testament, forgiveness in the Old Testament, and how all of it pointed toward Jesus, all the sacrifices and sin offerings. We're going to kind of pick it up there and go forward today. Today is actually the note taker's delight, if you're a note taker, uh, because there are lots of fill in the blanks, as you can see for today. So if you haven't got one of these and you're a note taker, raise your hand and somebody will get you one uh, so that you can keep yourself busy doing that as you go along. Um, Forgiveness, we're going to talk about today, kind of taking that from that Old Testament spot and seeing how it also affects the preview to the Passover. But forgiveness is paid for. Here's something I want to start with today. Billy Graham admitted it. Mother Teresa actually confessed it. Gandhi conceded it. Each one of them acknowledged that they weren't perfect. And each one of them acknowledged they needed forgiveness. And the truth is that we all do too. We all need forgiveness. The Bible states that in order to have a relationship with a perfectly just God, we have to be able to not have sin ourselves. And last time I checked, every one of us have an issue with that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And if you weren't sure you do, come talk to me afterwards. I'll remind you. In fact, the Bible says that very clearly. Romans 3.23 says, For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus himself said this, For I say to you, unless the righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You know what I think? I think most people tend to picture God like, kind of like Lady Justice, you know, the blindfold with the scales right here, and I've got good going on over here, I got bad going on over here. That doesn't have anything to do with the side of the room, by the way, it just is my picture, okay? <laughs> uh, although I, no, we won't go there. Blindfolded Lady Justice, good here, bad here, and kind of the thought in the world seems to be, if, if when, I, when I cash in my chips, the good is above the bad a little bit, you know, I ought to be okay. And uh, somehow or another, I should be able to get into the heavenly country club sort of a thing. You know, that seems to be kind of the idea. There's only one problem with that. God never agreed to that. And he's the one who sets the rules. He's the one who guides that. And he said that sin actually has a result of death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, you've earned it. I've earned it. We've earned it together. We've all earned death, which actually, that kind of death that the Bible is talking about there is actually separation from God, which is really the worst of hell, if you can imagine that, because of our sins. Now, here's something. God is... Perfect. We've all heard how perfect God is, right? Right? Yeah, that's right. Good. So God is perfect. He is perfectly merciful. He is perfectly compassionate. He's actually perfectly loving, but he is also perfectly just. And because he's perfectly just, he cannot provide the mercy and the grace and the love that we need if the scales are not balanced from his perspective. And so something has to, has to take place. God has decreed that the penalty for sin is death, and the penalty must be satisfied before he can grant that grace and mercy that he wants to pour out onto us. We can't, he cannot and will not ignore sin. And I can hear somebody saying, wait a minute, Cliff, are you telling me, 
Are you telling me that somebody who just kind of wiggles a little bit on their taxes or somebody just takes a little bit of advantage of their employer is in the same boat that Hitler is? Or maybe Putin today or those kinds of people? Are you telling me that? No, no, I'm not telling you that. But what God is telling you is this. Neither one of them on their own qualify for salvation, qualify for eternal life. So in the Old Testament, Scott talked about last week how God provided a way to have covering. He called the, the, the Hebrew word kafar, covering over your sins, to be pre- protected from your sins. And that covering, he says, is required because of your sins. So forgiveness of our sins requires a sacrifice. It requires a sacrifice. God has laid that out for us. In Leviticus 5, 9, uh, 13, Moses writes this, The priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters. So we say, well, what matters, Cliff? Well, believe, read the book of Leviticus. They've got all kinds of ways that you can sin. And so Moses if you mess up in any one of these areas, the priest will make amends for you. He, uh, he'll make atonement for you. And atonement means he'll satisfy the wrong. He'll make an amend for it, kind of that covering thing. We're back to that again. And then it says, and it shall be forgiven him. Oh, so there's a way that God gives us to have our sins forgiven. But it requires that sacrifice. And confession is helpful, but it is not enough by itself. There has to be shed blood. There has to be uh, something else that is required, the sacrifice that's required that the priests made on behalf of the people. And so God comes as the ultimate high priest, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a substitute for that, a substitute for the lambs. So God offered a substitute in Jesus, who we know as the Lamb of God. Isaiah stated it this way in the Old Testament, Isaiah uh, 53, verses 5 to 6. Now, understand, I believe that Isaiah and David, and the Bible does not tell us this, but by their writings, I, I have come to believe that both of them, God gave a vision of what was going to happen. So he gave Isaiah and David a vision of the crucifixion and and showed them what was going to take place. So hundreds of years before it happened, they wrote it as though it was happening and they were seeing it. And here's what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53 verses 5 to 6. But he, now this was the Messiah, which is Jesus, was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped, and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord, that would be God the Father, laid on him, that would be Jesus, the guilt and sins of us all. So Jesus became the perfect sacrifice and paid our penalty. It's so important that the sacrifice would be perfect because if the sacrifice wasn't perfect, then really they were just dying for their own selves, not for somebody else's. So I couldn't die for your sins because I know this is going to be a shock. I'm not perfect. I was just waiting for the shock to register. That was pathetic. Um, So it wouldn't make any difference if I died for your sins because I would have to die for my own if I was going to pay for my sins or I've got to have the substitute myself as well. Paul would write about it to the Romans this way in Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Wow. So on that hill, 
outside of Jerusalem, Jesus took our place and willingly paid the price for the sins of humanity once and for all. Did you hear that, willingly paid that price? I want you to understand something. Jesus was not murdered. He was not murdered. In John 10, 18, Jesus himself said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. In other words, I've chosen to do it myself. He was talking to the disciples in John 26, verse 52, and he said, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. By my calculations, that's somewhere above 70,000 angels. He's saying, nobody can make me do this. I have made the choice to do this. He made the choice to accept that burden on the cross himself. And when he made that choice, he suffered something that no human being before or ever will suffer again like that. Jesus became the sacrifice so our sins could be forgiven. John wrote about this way in 1 John 2 in his letter. He said, but if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. You see that? He's the one who pleases God completely. In other words, he's perfect. He is the sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And then a little later in the same letter in chapter 4, he says, this is real love. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So by dying on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty that, that all of us deserved. And, he, and when he did that, here's what he did. So cool. He removed every obstacle that was between us and God when he did that. Before that, there's all kinds of obstacles. We don't have the right to approach God. God's perfect. We're anything but that. But when he did that and gave us forgiveness for our sins and said, now I'm clothing them with my righteousness, God the Father, so they can talk to you directly. Oh, wow. How awesome that I get now. Because of what Jesus did for me, I get to have that conversation directly with the Father myself. There's only one thing that can keep us separated from him, and that is unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief is the only thing that separates now humanity from God. And that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Oh, it's about who believes in what he has done. So we deserve the death sentence, but Jesus is our substitute. Do, do you remember Barabbas? Anybody remember Barabbas? Yes. Good. Who was he? Criminal. A criminal. He was a criminal. He was a criminal at the time of Jesus' uh, crucifixion, that Pilate said, hey, to the people, the Jews, he said, you get to choose someone to go free. Here's a criminal who deserves to die, who's already got the death penalty on him, and here's someone that Pilate said is not guilty. He's absolutely innocent. Jesus. And Pilate said, who do you choose? And who did they choose? Barabbas. No, they chose Barabbas to go free. Yes, to go free. So who paid the price for Barabbas? Jesus, Jesus did. Oh, wow. That, friends, is the example of you and I. Because you and I are as guilty as Barabbas was, 
Well, it may not be the same sin, but any sin, it doesn't matter. And so we're as guilty as Barabbas, and we so badly needed something to take our place. Our forgiveness was purchased by Jesus' death. Now, God wanted this, he wanted this to be clear. He wanted there to be no doubt about Jesus being the one that he would send so that our sins could be forgiven. He was really determined that we would get that. And so he predicted it all throughout the Bible. People prophesied about that. Uh, David prophesied details about this crucifixion 900 years before it happened. In Psalm 22, and I told you, I think, he, I think God gave him a picture of it. And here was this picture. He starts out the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, where did you hear that? From the cross. Jesus ended up saying that from the cross. When he said that as one of the seven things that he said from the cross, he was pointing back to Isaiah, I mean to David, writing about that, saying, it's me, it's me, and here I am. And by the way, David wrote this at a time when crucifixion wasn't even an event. They hadn't invented it yet. The Romans invented it. And then he went on to describe it. My life is poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. Imagine David praying to God and God suddenly giving him a vision of these things. And now he is trying to tell you what it looks like to him and what it feels like to him. He says, my heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He goes on to say, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count every bone in my body. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my clothes among themselves and throw dice for my garments. Wow. By the way, all of the religious leaders at the time of Jesus knew that both David and Isaiah were talking about the Messiah about someone that God said, I am going to send a Savior, a Messiah, one to save people who will allow them to come back to me, one who will become the Lamb of God. And so Isaiah foretold Jesus' death 700 years before it happened. And here's how he wrote about it in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a, sleep is silent, as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. Can you see Isaiah seeing that in the vision and just and writing that down? But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins, that he was suffering their punishment? He had done no wrong, and he never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and fill him with grief. I got to stop there a second. Wait a minute. Hold the phone. A good plan to crush your son with grief and, and, and fill him with grief? That's a good plan? Ah. Uh. I'm a dad. I want what's best for my kids. Sometimes when I want what's best for my kid, what's really best for them, it causes them pain in the short term to get the gain in the long term. Huh? Parents, you know that. You should know that. 
right? And so here's what he says. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children, many heirs. Dude, you're an heir of his. I know that. I am too. Huh? We're heirs of his even now. The gain that he got because of his willingness, which is why he said, nobody's taking my life from me. I'm going to lay it down. I know what the end result of this is. Yes, it's difficult in the meantime. But I want, I want to have many children, many heirs that will be free from their sin and have that relationship with God the Father. Every prophecy about the Messiah was fulfilled by Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Where he would be born, who he would be related to, where he would be, how he would be betrayed, betrayed by and accused by false witnesses, how he would die what he would be called, how he would be preceded by a messenger, that he'd do miracles, that he'd teach parables, that he would be a light to the Gentiles, that he would ride a donkey into Jerusalem, that he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that he'd be crucified with thieves, that they would cast lots for his garments, that they would pierce his hands and his feet, that, they would, that the day would turn dark and that he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb, that he'd be dead, buried, and he would resurrect himself in three days. All of that was predicted, that Jesus would be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. No one else, living or dead, has come close to meeting all 61 major prophecies about Jesus. But to be certain, so that there would be no doubt about this, no doubt, God used the Passover to preview the Passion. The Passion is the crucifixion. God used the original Passover to foreshadow or to point forward or to preview the event that we will be remembering Friday at 7 o'clock right here, the crucifixion. Now, God often used physical events in the Old Testament to foreshadow, to give a preview or point toward something that would happen spiritually, a spiritual event that would happen later. And so the story of the original Passover is told in the book of Exodus, chapters 3 through 12. 12 talks about the actual Passover event itself, but 3 to 12, you might recall, that it has 10 plagues that are brought upon the Egyptians. So God comes to Abraham and tells Abraham, I'm going to give you this land, but not for a long time. And when I do, it's going to, I'm going to give it to your descendants. It will be, I'm promising you, I'm going to give it to them. But before I give it to them, they are going to go into captivity and they'll be slaves for generations. And then I'm going to take them out of that captivity as a great nation, and I'm going to bring them to that land that I'm promising you. And now he comes to Moses and said, the time is now. Take my people out. They'd been slaves to the Egyptians for generations. And the, uh, the Egyptian pharaoh didn't want to let them go. Man, I got slave labor. It's working pretty good for me right now. You take them out, my entire economy is going to get messed up. I'm not into that. I'm not going to go for it. We're going to keep them right here. And you, you got to read about it from Exodus 3 all the way to 12, how, how he kept rebelling against it and got to bring another plague and another plague and another plague. And finally they get to the 10th plague. The 10th plague is known as the death of the firstborn. And Moses told the children of Israel all along, it's going to culminate in this. And when this plague is visited upon the Egyptians, they are going to be so distraught, they will not only let us go, they will pay us to go. And they'll have us leave as a great nation. 
But this last and final plague is really important because what's going to happen is God is going to bring judgment on this nation, the judgment they deserve. And by the way, the first three plagues were what happened to both the Israelites and the Egyptians. But the next ones just happened to the Egyptians. Now you come to the tenth one, and Moses says, this one is going to be visited on everybody because everybody is going to receive judgment. Did you hear that? Everyone is going to receive judgment. But there is a way where you can have the judgment pass over you, hence the word Passover. It's, it's, you have to do, you have to very particularly, very specifically carry out what I'm going to tell you to carry out, Moses told them. So the destruction, the destructions, the instructions were, uh, were specific and precise, and they were carried out very specifically on a lamb those same instructions were carried out very specifically on Jesus, our Lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7b, Paul says, for Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. So I want you to see that where God's going to show us this. So there is no doubt what he is about here with Jesus. And we can really have our faith encouraged and buoyed when we see this. We'll compare the Passover lamb to Jesus the lamb. So Moses starts out by saying, this is going to be a new deal to you. It's going to be a new year. So from now on, you're going to celebrate the Passover. By the way, it's still being celebrated today. It'll be celebrated at the end of this week. And you're going to celebrate this every year. It'll be the beginning of the new year to you because it's going to represent a new covenant, a new time with God. And Jesus pointed out that it was, in fact, a new covenant when he was having that last supper with his disciples. Matthew 26, verse 27. He took the cup. He gave thanks for it, gave it to the disciples and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see how he was pointing to himself as the sacrifice, saying this is how, and by the way, it's a new covenant now. Based on me, I'm taking the place of the Passover lamb. I am the lamb of God. And so then Moses said, here's the next thing you got to do. Go choose a perfect lamb. Choose a perfect lamb. And, uh, and, and so they would go out and they would, they would check it out and they'd, they'd Choose this perfect lamb. And God said, I'm sending Jesus as my lamb. He's the perfect lamb, which is why John the Baptist said in John 1, when he saw Jesus coming to him, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was saying, I recognize who he is. The Spirit has shown me this is the one that God has ordained for thousands of years, and he is the one who's going to come and be sacrificed for us. So you choose the perfect lamb. That would be Jesus. And the whole idea, they would take that lamb, and then they said, now you go get that lamb, and you take it to your house. By the way, this was a celebration. Because Moses told him all about, here's what's going to happen. He's laid it all out for him and said, and by the way, when the Passover is done, we're going to be free. And so they were excited about it. So man, they, were, they went up to pick that perfect lamb. They go out in the field and they're looking for the right lamb. Ah, here's the one they wanted. And when they took it back down to the house where they were supposed to keep it there for four days, take it back down to the house and keep it there. It was a celebration. It was a party. Even though they knew that lamb was going to die for them, 
to keep the, the judgment from, from affecting them. It was still a party because they knew they were going to go free and the lamb was dying for them and they didn't have to die for it. And so they were excited about it and they came down celebrating it. And it happened on this day, Palm Sunday. Jesus was on a donkey and they celebrated. They were excited about him going down into Jerusalem to go to the temple. And then, then Moses said, you're going to keep that lamb by your house for four days. You're going to watch it. You're going to look at it to make sure it's perfect, to make sure it's the right lamb to be sacrificed. And Jesus came down that hill in great celebration and palm branches going down and everything else to come to the temple where the Pharisees and Sadducees and the other people would test him for four days to see that he was the perfect lamb of God, to see that he was the one that was qualified to be able to pay the price for our sins. He was tested and then Moses continued with very specific instructions. He said, now listen, here's what's going to happen. That's on that day. Now four days go by, and this is the day of Passover. So in the morning, on the day of Passover, you take your lamb, and you bring him out to the altar that you're going to use, and you tie him to that altar. The very morning that they were doing that, they were tying Jesus to a cross. They were nailing his hands and his feet onto that cross. At the very time of day that Moses had specified that God had ordained that the lambs would be brought to the altar to where? To the place where they would be killed. And then he said, uh, and by the way, the altar is going to be, it's out in the open, it's in the public, and we're going to do this in the public. And Jesus was hung in the public on the cross. And then Moses said, and so that lamb is going to stay right there by that altar all day long. And in the late afternoon, you're going to go out there and you're going to sacrifice that lamb. You're going to kill it. At the very time, the very time that the priests were taking those lambs into their arms and we're sacrificing them. We're slitting their throat. At that very time, Jesus was on the cross saying, it is finished. And he hung his head and died. Oh, how God times it. How God's details are all together here. Can you see how God's pointed the picture to his son? For you, for me. Wow, Lord, thank you for that. Paul would write to this to the Corinthians, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So you kill the lamb as a sacrifice for you. And Jesus was crucified and died as a sacrifice for us, for you, for me. Moses said, when you do this, Make sure you don't break any of its bones. Not to break any of its bones. Oh, you're going to kill it, but you're not going to break any of its bones. Well, what in the world is that about? You might remember that when Jesus hung on that cross, there were thieves on both sides of him who had their legs broken. But do you remember what happened when they came to Jesus? They realized he was already dead. And they said, don't bother breaking his bones. Oh, John... John would write about that and say these things happened in John 19.36 so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. <laughs> 
You are amazing, Lord. You are amazing. And Moses said, when you catch the blood, when you sacrifice that lamb, get a bowl, put it underneath that lamb so when you slit its throat and the blood starts to come out, you catch the blood in the bowl. Uh, seems kind of gruesome, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that, that bowl of blood and you're going to take it to the door of your home. And you're going to paint it on the sides of the door and the lintel across the top. On, and they're painting it in the form of a cross where the blood of Jesus would be staining the cross above and on the sides. Paul would write the Christians in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, and say, For God was pleased through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How? Peace. Through his blood shed on the cross. So you sacrifice the lamb, Moses said, and then you uh, roast it. And you're going to eat all of it. If you can't eat all of it with your family, bring another family in to eat all of it. But, but you need to eat all of the lamb. And Jesus would say to those who were following him, if you want to follow me, you have to drink my blood and eat my body. And they said, what? You're crazy, man. You are nuts. And Jesus would then tell his disciples when they had that last supper together in Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he was pointing right backwards to them eating the sacrificial lamb. Moses said, when you do all of this, be prepared to travel. Wear clothes to be able to travel. And Jesus would say to his followers, be prepared to go. Where? Oh, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into all parts of the earth to be my witnesses. Be prepared all the time that as you are going, you can be my witnesses. Moses said, when you're done with that, you're going to enter the door of your house. This is the safe place to go. You're going to enter into your door before the whole Passover is complete. And Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. In John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Oh, do you see the pictures? Saved from what? from judgment. And then Moses said, then you're going to stay inside to be saved by the blood on the door. You stay inside all night long and the angel of death will pass over your house when he sees the blood on the door. And, and, and Jesus comes to us and says, you need to stay in Christ to be saved. You need to stay in Christ to be saved on this earth and then afterward he will take us to heaven. And then the judgment, Moses said, will pass over. You will not, you, those who do this, will not experience death. And Jesus says, your sins will be forgiven. You will not perish, but have eternal life, eternal life. And Moses said, and then when that's done, you're going to leave for the promised land. And guess what? After it's done for us, we get to leave. For where? 
Heaven, heaven, somebody said. You're right, you're on your way. The rest of them, (laughs) I don't know. Jesus said, there are many rooms in my Father's house in John 14 too, and I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I'd have told you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. Hmm. And Moses said, you know, the exciting thing is when all of that is done the next morning and we begin to leave, we will be free from bondage to Egypt. We won't be slaves anymore. And Jesus says, when you accept the gift that I have for you, you will no longer be under bondage. You'll be free from sin. And you'll not be under bondage to sin anymore. Romans 5, chapter, uh, verse 9, Paul writes, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's judgment. Do you see? That's what we've been talking about, isn't it? The whole thing, how it ties together, how God brings it together. No doubt, no doubt, all those years of sacrificing the lambs pointed to Jesus and what Jesus was going to do for you and I. I find it really interesting that shortly after the death of Jesus, they quit sacrificing lambs. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. God had planned this event long before. He had shown the prophets how it would happen. He kept his word to the intricate detail. Absolutely mind-boggling to me. The odds are statistically absurd. They're incalculable. And yet God did it because he wanted to show all of us, everyone who cares to see, he wanted to show that he provides a way for them to be forgiven to be saved, to have eternal life. So they can have an open and direct and loving relationship with God the Father. But Jesus would say, I'm providing the way. I am the truth. And I am your life, now and eternally. But I am the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said in John 14, 6. The cross, friends, the cross of Christ distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. I hope you understand that that Jesus, God did not send Jesus to condemn us. He did not do that. That's not the purpose of him sending Jesus. It's the opposite of that. He didn't send Jesus to condemn us. We were condemned already. And we would screw up plenty well on our own already. And we do. He he sent Jesus to save us. I have to tell you, I get quite, uh, it, 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 I'll use the word perturbs. That's a good word, I think, for this point. It perturbs me when I I see people who say to me, you know, I I get what you're talking about, Jesus, but... um, and I think he's a good guy, but I don't want, I don't want it that way. I, 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 mean, I mean, if he doesn't want to save me in the way that I think is right, I think I'm okay. And it reminds me of a person who's drowning, and there's one person who can save him, only one that's close enough to save him at all, and they throw him a life preserver, and they say, here, grab the life preserver, and they go, I don't like the color. 
In fact, I don't even want it to be a life preserver. I want it to be something else. Get me something else or I'm not grabbing it. And you're going, come on. It's one way. It's that preserver or nothing. And Jesus is coming and saying, I'm not telling you you're going to drown. You're drowning on your own. I've come to throw your preserver and to save you. Think of it this way. You've sinned. How much? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This is not a, this is a wonderful part of it. This is a really great part of it for all you really bad sinners. <laughs> we love this, you know. We love this, baby. <laughs> oh, that, I wasn't supposed to say your name. I'm sorry. Uh, you know why? Because it doesn't matter if you sinned a lot or a little. We've all sinned. And so we're all guilty. We're all guilty. And here's what he does. He says, listen, I'm going to offer you a complete and permanent pardon. Complete, permanent. But there's a catch. There's a hitch. You have to accept the gift. You have to accept the pardon, the price Jesus paid. You have to acknowledge that he alone can pay it. You have to let him be your Passover lamb. There is a fascinating little thing that happens in Exodus chapter 12. At the beginning of it, at the very beginning, Moses says, go choose a lamb. So off they would trot up to the field to choose a lamb, a perfect lamb. And then he says, and now you're going to bring that lamb, a a lamb, you're going to bring that lamb. It now becomes the lamb. You bring it to your home. It becomes the lamb that you have chosen. And now when you are getting ready to tie that thing to the altar, it becomes your lamb in verse 5. What a picture Humanity is destitute. Humanity cannot make it on their own. Humanity, the the people God's created to be in relationship with him, have sinned and put a barrier between him and them. And God says, I'm going to create a way to get past that barrier so you can come directly to me because I love you so much and I want you to come directly to me. Oh, he said, I'm going to provide a way for you to do that. So I'm going to have a Messiah come. And then... He shows up, the Messiah, Jesus, shows up. But in order, friends, for you to benefit from what he has done for you, he must become your lamb, your Messiah. How did we demonstrate that? We demonstrate that by confessing and doing what Jesus said, believing Romans 10 verse 9 says, For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So the good news in a nutshell is this. Your forgiveness is already paid for. Is that great? Is that great? Oh, is that great? Thank you. Yes. It is incredible. It's incredible. It's amazing to me that God would do that for us. The Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. But if you want to be forgiven, to be saved, and you've never asked God to give you that gift, it's what you need to do. It's the way he has planned it for you to be able to come to him and receive that forgiveness. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you have provided this for us, and we are overwhelmed 
at the intricate detail that you have kept in laying this out, the way that you've demonstrated this in your word, the way that you've shown us these things. So Lord, we would be remiss if we did not stop and take the time this morning to to allow people to step into that relationship with you. So while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I I just wanna suggest this. If you are not sure that you have accepted that gift, from Jesus and the way he's asked you to, then you need to pray something like this. You can just pray this in your mind. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need your help. I accept the sacrifice that you paid for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to be your child. You died for me. I'm choosing this day to live for you. Lord, thank you that when we pray that prayer, you are good to it, and that you say now you have eternal life. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Thank you for that. Bless us in that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, we're going to continue worshiping here in a second. I want to say two things. One is I want to say that if you have prayed that, Remember what we just read about confessing with your mouth? You need to confess to somebody that you have done that. Also want to remind you that there will be prayer people from the prayer team will be up here on my right, your left after the service. So if you would like prayer for that or would like to confess to them, that'd be awesome. You can do that there also. And now would you stand and let me give you a blessing from the Lord himself, his blessing, not Cliff's, his blessing, and then we'll continue to worship. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you to give you his peace and his strength so that you can receive the sacrifice and live the life that Jesus is calling you to live. In Jesus' name, and the people said, amen, amen. Let's worship the Lord.